a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Here in the Wellness Collective, today's guest is an incredible woman. I mean, you might think I'll say that about everyone, but uh, I'm not easily impressed. She really is. I think there's something for everyone in what she has to say as well because her experiences are varied and very interesting. Hey, um, I was sick when you spoke to her, so I had to um, catch up on what she had to say. She is a scientist and her background is in genetics and, you know, helping people to profile their genes mm. to then be able to treat them. Absolutely amazing stuff, like almost science fiction. Yeah, Getting I know. To that point, it's like X-Files. Yeah, so you look at your DNA, look at what you are susceptible to and then work out the best way to treat that situation so that you can get the best out of your life. Yeah, and if there's a problem, then looking at why there's a problem. So is there a mutation or a genetic defect or... Yeah, it's wild. It's the next generation of healthcare. Like, this is where everything's moving. So it's pretty exciting that we could get her in the studio. Indeed. And one of the things that you brought up in that uh, episode was epigenetics. Now, this is something I had no idea about, and you did explain it, but you've got a bit of a history with this particular well, subject, haven't you? Now, you know, one day, one day, a little while ago, yeah, I got myself in trouble. Now, what? You say that. Now, I've got all these ideas about what that trouble might have been. Well... Do you remember when Angelina Jolie had her double mastectomy oh, yes. and then yes okay so I wrote a blog post yeah. about how to me that was a little bit insane because it's just the symptom not actually the problem and if you've got your or predisposed to the BRCA gene or sorry if you have the BRCA gene then you're going to get breast cancer it doesn't work like that Basically, right. you may be predisposed, as we are going to learn, yeah. that just because you have the gene doesn't mean you're going to get breast cancer. No, and that we learned that there are ways that you can live and things that you can change about your lifestyle Absolutely. that can affect what's going to happen exactly. with those genes. Yeah, but exactly. how did you get into trouble? What did you, what did you actually say? Well, I wrote a whole blog, blog post about it and it was quite controversial at the time. Everyone mm. was like, good on her, so she should. This is great for women. And... I'm like, okay, I support her decision to do whatever is right for her. Yeah. But it's a little bit misleading to be saying we should all have our boobs chopped off <laughs> to treat the war on breast cancer because it doesn't work like that. Well, and no, it's not let's one get size educated. fits all. Absolutely. So and I was sick. like, okay, well, if you remove your breast tissue, mm. that cancer is only going to potentially manifest somewhere else in your reproductive system because it's a system. It yep. doesn't just end there. No. So I wrote a blog post about that. Did and she I, read it? I don't know if she read it, but it went viral uh -huh. in a massive way. Uh -huh. And I think it must have made its way onto some type of, or many, breast cancer forums. Yes. So I got absolutely ambushed, which was fine. I kind of asked for it. I put it out yeah, there and I was yeah. really happy with that. It gave me um, a great opportunity to speak to people. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, that idea that, you know, first we resist things and then, you know, we're, we're told that we're crazy and then all of a sudden it just is accepted and it just is. And yes. I feel like we're at that point now where we're kind of going, well, maybe it's not the option for everybody to just go and remove the, yeah. you know, possible area of trouble. So 
in doing that, I was like, okay, I need some backup here because I've really got myself in some hot water and there's a really lot of, there's a lot of nasty comments floating around. And so I recruited a few people and Dr. Bruce Lipton was one of them. He is an amazing man. He's mm. the godfather of epigenetics. He's been awarded uh, a, a basically the equivalent of the Nobel Peace Prize yeah. in being able to prove that our environment influences the way that our genes work. So that's what epigenetics is about? Yeah, that's what epigenetics is about. And he's got, oh, he is, honestly, he was one of the best interviews I'd ever, ever done. But he was basically able to, way back, and this is a long time ago when, mm. you know, stem cell research was all first well, very quite new. controversial too, wasn't it? Remember when people were, were really unsure about how ethical it was and, you know, what the repercussions would be? Poor old Dolly. Oh, and Dolly the sheep. Dolly the sheep. She, she, she got a lot of bad publicity, didn't she? Oh, oh Dolly. Dolly. wasn't Dolly's fault. But anyway, he was able to explain it in such a beautiful way about how our environment has a massive influence on how our, our cells will replicate. So I have uh, three dishes, genetically identical cells in each dish, but I change the, the environment, the culture medium, a little bit uh, in each of the three dishes. In one dish, the cells form muscle. In one dish, the cells form bone. And in right. the third dish, the cells form fat cells. But we're left with a very important question. The question is, is what controls the fate of the cells? So that's what you were talking about when you were saying that perhaps there's another way you don't have to look at a mastectomy necessarily if you're worried that your genes, you're genetically, what's the word? Predisposed. Predisposed to cancer in this particular case. Exactly. And... You know, it's all about, like he said, it's all about the environment. First of all, they were all genetically identical. So you can't start with the premise, oh, they're genetically, you know, destined to form this or this or this. Uh, the cells uh, are controlled by the environment. It was the changes in the environment that, that led the cells into different pathways of development and behavior. So he's saying basically, yes, okay, there's the environment, but there's also the influence of how we um, we think and what we do in our lifestyle. It's wild because it changes everything. To me, it changes everything. Well, I think we will come back with a, a whole extra Bruce podcast pretty soon because as we went through, I, I mean, you recorded this interview with him a couple of years ago. And like you say, at the time it was groundbreaking, but listening to it, it's so interesting. He's talking about how, you know, the environment that you you provide for yourselves is your blood and your brain chemistry then affects your blood and then you know if you're feeling happy that changes things if you're feeling sad that changes so yeah it's a whole world but yeah we need to talk about um, Denise and her experience because it really does link to this whole idea and um, her knowledge of this area and personally what happened to her. So my background is in genetics. I've got a PhD in something called nutritional genomics, which is basically like nutritional biochemistry. So looking at how genes interact with our environment and our foods and things like that. So we got her in because she's got a phenomenal story about her thyroid. Mm. But when we started talking about who she was and what she did... We realised that uh, <laughs> she had a lot of info that linked back to what Bruce had to say. Exactly. And, and like I said, really cutting edge information that changes a lot of things for a lot of people. The individual still has the gene or the genes, but what you want to do is you tr you want to try to 
optimise their lifestyle specifically for their genes. So if someone does have some genes that we know are linked with fertility issues and we know that some of those might be around, say, folate, well, then we talk to them about, well, what are folate-rich foods? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about natural forms of folate, why perhaps maybe some supplements may not be good for you, like a folic acid because it's synthetic, the body has to work a bit harder. I'm not saying folic acid's bad for everyone, but we can sort of talk to individuals about their genes and what's best for them. So it's like tailor-made medicine, Mm. natural medicine. So she's a lady that has a scientific background. She is going to be very in tune with her own lifestyle and her own body and what she needs and so on. But she was in a situation where she had a thyroid problem. She came to you for some help. Yeah, and and she was very open um, to exploring that. She knew that there's this beautiful mesh or this beautiful, I don't know, what do you call it? When, when you bring everything together, when you yeah. combine you know, ancient medicine with new knowledge, you get some remarkable results. And that was part of what Denise did as her job because she did a lot of fertility testing and stuff too that she told you all about, including some that was a bit, um, well, mucky. <laughs> I used to do all that fun stuff. Oh, I, I used to ask stuff. the man to, you know, <laughs> we just need you to donate a bit of this and that. And hopefully my husband's not listening because I won't say his name, but you could imagine I had a lab when I met my husband, what he went through, the amount of testing. I'm like, I just need a bit of this because I'm setting up a new experiment. And uh, and the funny thing was I did all the testing under the sun on him, you know, is he going to be okay? Um, but then we found out when I, when I was pregnant, I was really sick and unwell and I kept blaming him as you do. Even though we'd done all the testing, I was still like, this is definitely you. You have done this to me. Like, I, I feel like crap. And I was throwing up every day and, um, and my mum wasn't sick. My brother's wives weren't sick, but his mum was. So I was like, it's definitely you. Yeah, um, well, that's true. But a lot of people get sick during pregnancy. So, I mean, that's one of those things, isn't it? Some people get morning sickness. I had a friend who really every single day would vomit the entire time she was pregnant. But it was more than that, wasn't it, with Denise? It was, but she didn't know that and that's why she kept on keeping on for that very reason. She just thought it was pregnancy-related. Yeah. Actually, I had a thyroid condition. So despite doing all this genetic testing and semen analysis and bloods and everything on him, putting him through the ringer, because I thought, because obviously I was amazing. Yeah, of course. I, I, I exercise, mean, I eat well. You're, you're a woman. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so I was the one that had uh, the issues with, with, and we struggled during pregnancy. I was really, really sick. So how would they have figured out that it was actually a thyroid problem that was making her sick? Because like you say, in pregnancy, there can be so many things like preeclampsia, just a predisposition to morning sickness, you know, hormonal things, sensitivity. I mean, I'm just making up. You obviously know more than I do. But thyroid particularly, I don't know anything about a thyroid condition. The interesting thing about your thyroid is that every single cell in your body requires your thyroid to work. Okay. So you kind of can't get away with it being dodgy. And what tends to happen with your thyroid is that it either is overactive or it's underactive. But unlike other hormones in your body, it only secretes really small amounts of hormone that have a profound impact So, you know, you can get away with your blood sugar levels being out or, Mm -hmm. you know, glucose being a bit dodgy because it's secreted in such large amounts, whereas your thyroid 
it's only a little bit. So therefore, a little bit out of kilter has a big impact. Does that make sense? It's the less is more theory for the thyroid, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So what was out with Denise then that made everybody realise that's what it was? Well, we'll let Denise tell her story, but I think she started out okay. And I didn't feel too bad in first trimester. So everyone sort of talks about how rough first trimester is. It was really second trimester and I started throwing up all the time. I just couldn't tolerate foods and smells and People. everything, <laughs> anything really. And despite all my knowledge um, and my passion for healthy living, that was just way too hard. Like stuff that, it was just anything with sugar and fat because my body just needed something. I wasn't I wasn't keeping things down. So I was eating pretty poorly, stopped exercising, thought I was depressed actually. I was thinking there's something wrong with me. But really, I mean, pregnancy does such strange things to your body and I was just thinking of bok choy as she was talking then because bok choy made me want to vomit when I was pregnant first time. You don't know what to expect. and so Bok do you- choy. Do you know what I used to do when my husband would spray his deodorant in the morning? I had to hide under the covers yeah, until the coast was fully clear. It just used to send me bananas. Well, I love a cup of tea and I just couldn't even look at tea for the yeah. first trimester, so I know what she's talking about. But how do you know that there's a bigger problem, well, I guess? I mean, I guess it's called mother's intuition, right? I said to the obstetrician, <laughs> I really do believe that if pregnancy was this bad, no one would have mm-hmm. babies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I'm really struggling. And um, again, and my blood pressure was was up and a couple of things, but but nothing major according to them anyway, because my thyroid hadn't been tested. Mm-hmm. Everything else was normal. So that's what's wrong. Is that is that the key to the story? <sighs> yeah, so obviously, you know, standard tests were run. Yep. She was saying that it's feeling bad. Everyone's like, you're just pregnant. Mm-hmm. Poor love. Her thyroid was bung. So that's not a standard test that pregnant women have to go through. Unless there's a, they're predisposed or they already have okay. thyroid issues. But it is becoming increasingly more common. So I would say that a lot of obstetricians now would probably have tested for thyroid if it had happened today. But, of course, this happened to Denise a little while back. Yeah. And so, it's, you know, her diagnosis wasn't necessarily from her doctor. No, it wasn't standard, was it? No. And then at about 27 weeks gestation, I flew over to Adelaide. This is where I used to work at the Women's and Children's for a meeting. Got myself there and I walked in and they all just were like... Well, oh my God, they're like, you need to go to outpatients right now. I'm thinking, what do you mean? I've just flown all this way for this important meeting. And um, anyway, I had some bloods done and they picked it instantly. Like I was textbook. I don't even know how, I guess I was so sick. I just didn't even see it. My nieces were calling me Auntie Popeyes. So I should have probably oh, have realized taken then. then. But I guess, you know, and my friends were too kind and maybe my mm. husband didn't want to make me feel bad because I did. I looked really bad. So- I was, you're saying that you had an overactive thyroid? Overactive. Mm. So I was hyper. I had mm. graves. Mm. So I had a tremor. I just thought I was hyperglycemic because yeah. every time I ate, I would feel a bit better yes. if I could keep it down. And because I wasn't keeping food down, I just thought the shake was from that. Um, so, yeah, my eyes were bulging out. I had a tremor. I was quite skinny for someone who was so far along. But being a silly female, when everyone goes, oh, you're so tiny, you go, oh, yeah. Like, so do you, that was just really you know it. silly <laughs> of me. Um, but, yes, I was quite thin and um, and really unwell. But I was diagnosed very quickly, within a couple of hours. And I should it was serious. The doctors mm-hmm. were ringing up, you know, the lab, just saying, we need these bloods, we need these bloods. Mm-hmm. And I was diagnosed on the spot. 
My goodness, it sounds awful, those symptoms that she's just described. I mean, that's not part of pregnancy normally, so I feel for her that she was going through that and thinking that it was just normal to some extent. But can you explain, so she said Graves, is that the hyper... Yeah, so it's an autoimmune condition. It's kind of like almost the opposite to Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's is also an autoimmune disease that is usually a result of a underactive thyroid. Mm-hmm. This is a result of an overactive thyroid. So and how does it manifest in the body then? Well, it kind of speeds everything up, oh, okay. which is why she was skinny. It's yep. why you have things like bulging eyes. You're a bit racy, very anxious. You can hear Denise telling her story. It's it's, it's very making her speed up. Yeah, yeah. But but you can also, you know, imagine being pregnant and kind of putting down those feelings and, and you know, how it was manifesting all back down to the fact that, oh, well, I'm just pregnant, so this is the way it goes, when in actual fact it's not that at all. the other way around. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We'll be back after this short break where Denise is going to tell us that hospital was actually next on her agenda. The other big thing that plenty of women experience is PMS. I'm going to call it a hormonal hiccup. (laughs) And it does hit some people hard and others not so much, some months worse than others, all that kind of stuff. Now, a lot of doctors do prescribe the pill to combat the symptoms of PMS, don't they? But obviously that's, like you say, not going to the root. No, it's not fixing it. It's just treating the symptom. Yeah. Yes. So I did a little bit of online Google research. Oh, here we go. We'll see what they say. (laughs) So I read that limiting your salt, sugar and caffeine intake can ease the symptoms of PMS because that will stop you bloating as much and that can help for some reason. I guess maybe because you bloat a bit when you... So you tend to hold more fluid leading into the peak times of your hormones at play. So as you lead into ovulation yep. and oestrogen is sort of at its highest, you will your cells retain fluid as a just something that happens. Yeah. Um, same goes for when you lead into your period, yeah, which is yeah. when progesterone's when high. Bloated, so this is when you're yep. feeling bloated. Um, it can also be that there's not enough progesterone. Progesterone helps to move fluid as well oh, okay. in our body. So yep. I would say that more than likely most mm. women have too much oestrogen, not enough progesterone, and this is why they're having a lot of these symptoms. Um Limiting salt, sugar and caffeine. I don't know so much about salt. Salt used to be the bad guy and then everyone realised, actually, we really need (laughs) it. We just don't need the table salt that's, you Uh know, processed. Um, But sugar is an inflammatory food. Anything that's inflammatory is going to set off that autoimmune response. Mm. It's going to... Pain is inevitable when there is inflammation. Yeah. So that makes sense. If you're avoiding sugar, and I see this for a lot of patients, if you remove the inflammatory foods from their diet. They don't have pain. But fundamentally, what is it? It's just some type of stress. It's another type of stress stress. on your body. So, you know, again, I wish there was another word for it, (laughs) for stress (laughs) that was like categorised all these things, but there's not. Um, We basically need to look at what a stressor is in that time for you and remove what that is. So also too, I mean, that's pretty basic saying remove sugar and caffeine and the inflammatory stuff. And that would have to be a long-term thing, I'm guessing. You wouldn't just go, oh, I've got a bit, bit of PMS, I won't have a chocolate bar and I'll skip my coffee today. I still think it's treating the symptom, not the problem. Yeah. it's The problem is low progesterone, generally, remember. Mm, okay. So yep. we need to look at how can we get your oestrogen down, but at the same time, we often crave sugar at 
you know, PMS yeah, phase yeah, of our cycle. Yep. So why is that? What is my body asking for? Very often it's mm. asking, you know, often most women crave chocolate and there's been studies to suggest or that have suggested that we do that because we actually, our body needs more magnesium at that time. Mm. And one of the components of true cacao is magnesium. So there's lots of ideas. But I think also, again, our body, we misinterpret cravings all the time. You know, our body's asking for things and we're like, oh, yeah, sugar. And, you know, it's probably asking for broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it needs to clarify the way it is. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a design fault, but anyway. it definitely is. Yes, don't worry. I actually, (laughs) on the way to the studio this morning, I had a moment. I think you say I had a Mars bar. No, I didn't have, no. But I did have a moment where I went, oh, a hash brown. (laughs) No, what? Oh, see, I'm a wild fan of potato cakes. so So maybe it was... I don't know. There's some Potato carby, cakes. fatty, yeah, salty goodness it's... in that whole... Anyway, let's get back to yes. being healthy and good. Mm. So that's all good. Someone alerted me to the fact that there is a thing called perimenopause just recently. Mm-hmm. This does not sound fair at all. I did not realise this is a thing. I thought menopause, yes, that's off in the distance and we don't have to worry about that just yet. But perimenopause, what's that? Well, that's the change that starts to occur where our hormones begin to decline in the lead up to menopause. Mm-hmm. Generally starts from around 35 years of age. No. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I I can definitely feel the changes that have happened in my body. I tend to blame them on stress, though. I don't think that I'm perimenopausal, but I probably what, am. What changes, though? Um, I just get... I guess changes in my skin, mm. changes in my. Oh, yeah, I look at my hands now. They're starting to look know, like old like, lady hands. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you look at a picture of yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, there's a couple more wrinkles than what they were this time last year, mm. um, which I'm fine with, but I, I definitely. Wisdom lines. Yeah, those, mm, those. Mm. I think I smile too hard. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Do but, have a good smile. Yeah, but I think it is. And, and progesterone actually starts to taper off before estrogen does. So menopause is that, really, that moment where estrogen is supposed to decline. Uh-huh. Um, but perimenopause is actually the decline more so of your progesterone. So is this also too where, so from 35 to 40, say, where you've got that window where a lot of women are like, oh, I want to try and have a baby. This is my last hope. But their bodies started to go through perimenopause. So you're sort of like having a battle between... We know fertility declines over time. There's yeah. no question um, to that. But yeah, I think this is, you know, we know that our egg quality declines in that time because uh-huh. our hormones change. It's it's supposed to be that way. It's not like it's a design yeah, yeah. fault. It's it's setting us up for the next, you know, eight yeah. years, <laughs> the <laughs> next right. transition. So I think that doesn't mean that there's like a, a definite change. I think things just do gradually change. Mm. Many women up to 45 fall pregnant, no problem. And, I, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting is that women have a greater chance of falling pregnant naturally as they get older than what they do with assisted conception. No one's talking about that. fascinating, isn't it? But did you used to watch Pack to the Rafters? Julie Rafter got pregnant in her 40s. (laughs) (laughs) A friend of my mum's had her first baby at 47. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Oh, no. How... Don't do that. Bizarre your life would be. I mean, if that's what you want to do, but I just feel like, you know, mm. there's there's a time and a place. But that's, yeah, I think that I can see women who are 40 and they look like they're 30. Yep. And that to me is a pretty good indication of what's going on on the inside. Yeah, right. It doesn't mean they've gone and had Botox and fillers. They actually 
are young on youthful. the inside. That's yes. right. And I think if we look after ourselves, um, we've had a much better chance of conception at any age, really. Mm. You put your best foot forward, you do the right thing, your chances are going to be higher than if you're not doing that no matter what your yeah, age. Yeah, well, like anything with your body, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So the hot flushes and the night sweats can start during many pre- uh, perimenopause. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> but the uh, the big thing that concerns me is memory problems. I did not know that when you go through menopause and even perimenopause, your memory starts to go. Guess why? Why? Progesterone. Oh, God. <laughs> progesterone oh. progesterone like also, I know, see, see? Progesterone oh. um, also has an impact on your thyroid and your yeah. thyroid yeah. is very much uh, at play with, with, you know, regulating your whole body yeah. and that is why the symptoms can be so wide and varied as well. Have so, they ever just decided to give um, estrogen to people with Alzheimer's to see if it makes a difference? Ah, I don't know. Oh, oh, I should be a scientist. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You've missed your calling. <laughs> so when people say baby brain... When people are pregnant, that's got to be a real thing, surely. Does it ever leave, though? No. But (laughs) I remember a doctor saying a while ago, I read something where they said, oh, no, it's not actually a thing. People say it, but it's tiredness and it's all the other things associated with being pregnant. But no way. I mean, if your hormones are doing backflips and working so hard to create a little person, there's Mm. no way that your memory can't. True, and progesterone increases whilst you're pregnant, but you're you're supplying many things. I yeah, agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much of this stuff we we still don't fully understand. Mm. Um, but I think if we can understand the fundamentals, we can fill in the gaps, which is always fun. Which brings us to something that can be helpful to some women: perimenopause and menopause, and that's HRT. Yes. Which I say like that because I kind of feel like it's got a bad rap. But then maybe it deserves a bad rap, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. I still think at the end of the day, if we're doing our best to balance our hormones in our 20s, 30s, 40s, mm. that menopause should not be this massive event. It should just be but a it transition. Is, isn't it? That's yes. the way it's perceived. Because our hormones are imbalanced, because estrogen is so high, many women go through menopause for 10 plus years. So. Again, it's for me, I'm always looking at the other side, right? And it does. It comes down to how can you get your estrogen down? Mm. How can you get your stress down? Mm. You know, at menopause, what's supposed to happen is that your ovaries pass on their job to your adrenals. So right. your adrenals are what are secreting your stress hormones. Uh-huh. Now, if your adrenals are working <laughs> overtime already, <laughs> yeah. they can't do that. And your ovaries are like, here, have the, <laughs> have the ball. Oh, too busy. Have the ball. I can't have it. And so, so we're... This transition is taking a really long time. I think the other issue is that many women, um, and there's no judgment here, but I don't think we're given this information, have partial hysterectomies or they have their, or a full hysterectomy and they Mm. take their ovaries out. Their ovaries um, begin to form or perform, I should say, different job once menopause happens. So, you know, they're there for a reason and their role changes, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. So the role of the ovaries change and, yeah, again, so HRT can help women, of course, Mm. um, but, again, 
how long is a piece of string? Like, how long do you need to be on it for? How do you know when you can come off it? A lot of women are on it for a really long time because they just don't know what's going to happen. I just don't think it's fixing the hormone imbalance. And any medication, as we know, mm. is going to continue to wear away the digestive health, which becomes a long-term problem too. Uh, so, yes. you know, it's not to say that it, you shouldn't. It's just to say let's get the information what else is going on? Mm. How can we lead your body towards more of a homeostatic state to help to treat your symptoms and the problem? Well, I've heard that, like, in Asian cultures, women don't really suffer very many symptoms at all when it comes to menopause. So perhaps that's a diet-driven thing? Absolutely. And I think it's also a stress-driven thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of these cultures, even... You know, in China, you have a baby and you're on bed rest. Yes, I know. I love it. For a really long time. (laughs) I love it. We don't do that. We're up walking around the the supermarket three or four days later doing the grocery shopping. Yep, that's right. So we don't nurture ourselves, I don't think, enough as women. And it seems like there's this stigma to it that... You're not doing enough unless you're doing everything. Yeah. And and how dare you have you time? How luxurious. How dare you be a human being and have the things that you need? So I think we need to talk about that more and get comfortable with, you know, not just fixing hormones, but how can we actually yeah. be more healthy in general? Well, I found this great article called uh, Everything You Wanted to Know About Menopause, which was very helpful. So thank you, Anna Maxted, who wrote it. Uh In it, she said, though, admitting that you're menopausal is to admit, a friend says, that you're a dried-up witch and and there is no hot flush camaraderie. Oh, my goodness. That's not very nice. (laughs) She also says that um, anxiety, edginess and low mood are classic perimenopausal symptoms, which you say, you know, having stress makes it worse, but then those things create stress. So it's such a sort of circle, isn't it? It it is. It's a fine line. There's also other, you know, modalities that help to treat menopause. Chinese medicine is phenomenal for treating menopause. In what Um, way? What do you prescribe? um, Again, looking at the individual Mm. and treating... In a general sense. In a general sense. (laughs) Well, you know, we use herbal medicine to help Uh with hot flushes, but that, again, it's not generic. It's not like I would be able to say, oh, you're here, go and take that. I would more than likely make something that's appropriate for her Mm. or there are specific formulas based on, you know, are your hot flushes all day or are they just at night? Do you feel hot or cold when it happens? Like there's all sorts of other things that go with it. So Chinese medicine profiles all those things. It's, you know, are you clammy? Is it a rising heat or is it just a full-on, you know, there's lots of ways that we would look at it and then diagnose it according to those signs and symptoms. Um, Herbal medicine, again, Mm. not necessarily Eastern, but just Western herbal medicine um, has, you know, some amazing um, things on offer to help to treat menopause. Mm -hmm. I think the issue long-term with treating symptoms is especially if you're using drugs, mm. there's always another side effect. And then there's another drug and another side effect. Yeah. And that can you can I can see people that might be on 12 different lots of medication. Yeah, to combat and, each other. And I can, hand on heart, say, if we get you off these medications, your symptoms are not going to be there. Now, you can't just stop. That's dangerous. It mm. needs to be under the care of your, mm. your GP or your specialist. But I would always work towards someone being on the lowest to no dose of something with no symptoms. That's always my aim. Mm. So, you know, you you sort of start to chase your tail when you treat symptoms. I mean, <laughs> so it's different I mean, if 
you have a sporadic headache, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. Or you might have an odd month where you do have period pain. It doesn't mean that that's going to be now forever. Mm. That's okay. But Mm. it's when something is constant or consistently there that we need to address it. And maybe that's why I'm more of a symptom treater because I've never had something chronic. Yeah, yeah like that. But yeah, it is it is very interesting. Mm. So the only other thing I think we need to talk about uh, is the two elements of menopause and I guess all hormonal situations and that's that there is the physical side and the mental side. And it's okay to accept that the mental side of things is just part of the process because again, we always have the stigma about, you know, mental health and so on. You you're gonna love this. <laughs> so, not only is progesterone responsible for those physical Damn you, aspects, it's <laughs> responsible for the mental um, aspects mm. very often as well. I believe Again, that. because it also um, regulates well, it regulates serotonin yep. and um, what's the other one? Dopamine, yep. the feel good hormones. Uh-huh. So, if naturally, if that's not instigating those to be released, then we're not going to feel amazing, are we? We don't have the love hormones there. Um, again, that impact on your thyroid. So this is also why we might see weight gain in th- at this time, which, yep. again, is not great for your mental. Nope. But then we, what do we do? We go, oh, I've gained weight. I need to slog it out at the gym. I'm not exercising enough. I'm eating too much. And that's not the problem. The problem is the hormone imbalance. So it still comes back to your hormones again. And there's Lots more hormones than just progesterone and estrogen. But Mm. if we can understand those better and you don't necessarily want to invest the next six years to getting a, you know, (laughs) post-grad or a degree in all of these things, I think that the fundamentals are really important for us to understand and this is what we're not being taught. Do you think, though, with the physical symptoms of menopause, there are some coping strategies? So say, you know, the hot flushes particularly. Think about if you're a professional like you, you're in your clinic, you're talking to someone and all of a sudden... It just happens and you are melting because you are so hot. I don't have an answer for that because I haven't been through it. Ah, okay. And I really find it hard to actually be able to give people answers. I treat menopause in the clinic, but (laughs) I know, right? I treat menopause in the clinic, but Mm. if I can't get you know, quick changes, I will refer them on to someone else who treats menopause all the time and has been through it. Oh, so when you go through it, you're going to have a whole raft of uh, new experiences that you can pass on? Possibly. I don't see a lot of menopause in the clinic. I know a bit about, you know, I know enough about it, Um, but I see more younger women's health and fertility issues. So as a coping mechanism, I really don't know what I would say to somebody. I I, I don't, I can't imagine it feels great. Well, breathing apparently is the thing to do. You know, like your yoga breathing in yes. through the nose, out okay. through the mouth, so to slow your body down and to get you back on track, which is, that applies to everything, like you say, you know, yeah. labour, stress, hot your, chi- your children. Your children. <laughs> oh, yeah, not eating their dinner. Anyway. Wow, I feel so educated. Excellent. Thank you. I feel like I've done a lot of talking today. Well, you have. I mean, but we have covered a lot of topics and now we know about stress and we know about what's actually happening with those hormones and we know about pesky progesterone. Oh, he's a bad guy, hey? So if you want to know more, please head to natkringudis.com or email us, info at natkringudis.com.au and please head and rate us. We love ratings. The more stars, the better. That makes us happy. Thanks for joining us for this very enlightening episode of The Wellness collective we love bringing you topics to help you be happier healthier and better